Very Bad Wizards is a podcast with a philosopher, my dad, and psychologist, Dave Pizarro, having an informal discussion about issues in science and ethics. Please note that the discussion contains bad words that I'm not allowed to say, and knowing my dad, some very inappropriate jokes. Please, Fry, I don't know how to teach. I'm a professor. Welcome to Very Bad Wizards. I'm Tamler Summers from the University of Houston. Dave, today's the last day of Hanukkah. Hanukkah. Where, where are all my presents? <laughs> they, they must have gotten lost in the mail. It was, it was eight, eight days of socks, various socks in different colors, mostly blue. Um, but you'll get them. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm hoping because, uh, you know, I got a couple from my family, but I, was, I just go to the, you know, the mailbox every day kind of expecting Aren't you something. one of those Jews who loves Christmas? No, I don't no? love Christmas uh-huh. really. I mean, I, I enjoy it because I've always spent it with Jen's family. And, you know, that, that's, I, get, I get along with, um, with, with everybody. With the goy side. <laughs> I do, yeah. But yeah. I get along with their sisters, their husbands, their, um, and yeah, have really for so long that that's what I associate qu- Christmas with. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know what my gift is to you? It's allowing the intro segment to be taken up by you talking to your stepmother without me. That's the gift. <laughs> that's the gift. That's a poison pill. <laughs> yeah, so we have it's a it's a very bad wizard's guest bonanzas. Um coming up in the first segment we have Christina Hoff Summers, my stepmother, recently retired from the American Enterprise Institute, um, so she won't be in a part of any new wars that they're trying to start. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how much is really intrinsically motivated, and how much was just AEI instructions. Uh, yeah, right. Exactly. I think we've already. I mean, she's been retired for for like six months now, and so so we already know <laughs> it was her. by the way for that segment so you know it was drunken thanksgiving debate as usual she comes in hot i come in a a bit annoyed because (laughs) i had tried to set up the tech so that you know we both had our own microphones and it and i just i couldn't figure out how to do it and it took me a long time so 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 we're in a little we're in different places when the segment (laughs) begins um, in, in the second segment, we have Barry Lamb coming on the podcast to talk about, um, like the main topic will be Primer, the movie Primer by Shane Carruth. And then, uh, we also talk about David Lewis and his new series on his new season of Hi-Fi Nation, which features uh, a bunch of episodes on David Lewis. So, um, that's what's coming up. Then yeah. let's go to my segment with Christina. 
All right, welcome to our very special Thanksgiving episode segment where we drink too much, get into fights, but not like debates where we're trying to score points. Not for you, like... I'm scoring points, and he's drunk, I'm sober. Let's go, go! See, okay, one of us is not trying to score points in debates. The other one is trying to destroy me. (laughs) With their, like, well, I love him, but he's misguided. Rat- and your list, no one more than your listeners understands the problems that I face. While being adorable, charming, and in every way lovable, you are deeply, deeply misguided. So we'll set everything straight. But I'm thinking that by now, what's the year? I can't remember. 2021. You now have seen the light, and you acknowledge that I've been right all along on whatever it is we debated about. Okay. Well, so you could see we're in two different places also, uh, my stepmother and I. Number one, you know, we've all been drinking, but I've been trying to set something up tech-wise, which I wasn't able to do successfully. So now we're sharing one mic, and so there's going to be... What kind of person arranges the setup at the last minute, if you had only planned this before, we would have been, this would have been over by now. But never mind. Okay. And, and so she's a little more hyped up than I am right now. But we have a format. For this show. We never had that before. In the I know. Ones. I think this is going to be, I think they're going to like it. It's. I think it's an improvement. I'm not sure. Okay. So <laughs> the format, it's not like a fully fleshed out format. <laughs> we haven't even really fully talked about it. But the idea is we're going to bring up a couple, a bunch of topics that you have to express a certain level of belief in. It'll make more sense when we're actually doing it. That's how we're going to uh, attack this. Oh, but before we get to that, oh, shit. I, I, where, she's just left now. Before, oh, she's getting more champagne. Um, before we get to the really um, kind of interesting formatted <laughs> part of the segment, I, I want to just say like... I had the, nothing to do with the format for my followers and the, 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 the sympathetics that follow him. I had nothing to do with it. Go. We actually had, probably for the first time... Uh, a kind of stereotypical Thanksgiving debate argument. Um, and, and I took a course. Was, I took a course on how to cope with difficult relatives during the holiday season. And I was ready. And yet we exploded in anger, and it didn't go well. Yeah, so there was a lot of kind of casual racism thrown around by Christina. But oh, yeah. I will say... as he defines it. I will say because, that... You know, you once had a doubt about uh, preferential policies. You're, you're, you're uh, supporting systemic uh, racism, therefore you're written out of the human race, cancelled. I was cancelled. I will say you weren't cancelled because you were, like, talking them pretty much the whole time with some support from a friend of mine... From high school. Oh, from and high school, a major thinker. We won't say his name because we don't want to ruin his career. <laughs> I, don't know if I, I don't know if he would consider himself a major thinker at, at all. But the... A good source for weed <laughs> and other things. But, um, but really, I kind of stayed out of it. No, Not I, as much as my brother stayed out of it. But I, I, I stayed out of yeah, it. David, David? Yeah. What, what is your explanation? Because you didn't say a goddamn thing. And I, I wanted some backup because I took a course. But what are we, are you asking me about that or about the, well, okay. my silence during the Black yeah, Lives what? Matter debate? Yeah. Well, I'm not, I'm not as passionate as either of you. Like I'm not, no one confuses me for the Stephen A. Smith of the family, right? There's, you're the alt-right. No, he's, no, no. Okay, a, okay, he's a right Bernie there. bro. 
And I'm like most of America. You know, I, I would have voted for Yunkin if I could have. I think the oh yeah, Youngkin. The right. Repo- the, yeah. he was the Republican. Oh, yeah. I, I would have too. Uh, okay. Well, of course you would have. Yeah, because the other guy is a jerk. He is a corporate bot Democrat. In, in your terminology, he supports the. No, actually, he would have been fine, but he was just such an unlikable nerd that no one could vote for him. And the Democrats are going to be destroyed if they don't become more likable. And you know what? I don't want that because I don't wish to have Donald Trump return to the presidency, because he will destroy the country. Well, if if the only thing that will prevent that is Democrats becoming more likable, then I think we're definitely having another Donald Trump presidency. We're ruined. So who who would have thought? So Christina is in that lane for now of being anti-Trump, like you're you're one of the, a rhino. I kind of stayed out of that for the most part, not as much as my brother. You know, I would just come in every so often and yell about something, but then I, I would leave. But it was my wife, Jen, who was who was really going uh, like toe to toe with you. And so maybe she you should don't really have control of your wife. I mean, that's what came out this weekend. Not, I mean, just saying, like, can you like rein her in? You know, like that. I never have been able to do that. So I, I don't daughter, see your daughter didn't say a word. That's not true. She actually fought the good fight for a bit, but you know, you were loud and uh, I wasn't loud. I was quiet. I was reasonable, and I had my outline of how to deal with relative relatives, socialist, communist sympathizing, uh, anti-American nihilists. <laughs> All right. So that was the you know what happened before the <laughs> really well formatted part of the. The segment, and that was, and it gives a picture, yeah. And then actually, for for actual Thanksgiving, everything was fine. You know, it's not like we didn't snipe at each other, but it wasn't like the previous night where it was really like the first time I've ever had the cliched, you know. Are you kidding? We had that every time you came to our house with your father. Yeah, but it wasn't quite on the politics stuff. Like we. On, and more than it was on philosophical positions that you've taken, like when you were a, 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 a radical determinist, it annoyed you. Well, he'd be happy with me now, then. But let's move on to the, no, he the, the be thing. Happy. Your politics, he would find them absurd. He would I, he, he, absurd, and he would say you had no seichel, and what's wrong with you? I can imagine. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. That's that's okay, that's on. true. Moving on, we're gonna so so we're just gonna throw out a couple of things, and you say like how much you believe in them from one to 10, like 10 being you're certain that it's real or it's true. One being you're certain it's false. Havana syndrome. That's the first one. Oh my, I, I, I mean, can I give it like a negative number? I don't believe it. I've read the symptoms and believe me, I'm open-minded. If somebody can come through with some evidence like blood tests, but not, Brain imagery. Okay, well, let me just say what it is. It is a, a an illness that uh, FBI and CIA agents, as well as some embassy officials, have said they are suffering from, which involves fatigue, like headaches. Wh- what else? Ringing in the ear. Oh yeah, tinnitus. Things you can't measure. Right, and um, and 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 so the idea is that this is a microwave attack from Russia or Cuba or I Iran. Don't rule it out. I don't rule it out, but it just seems to have certain affinities with other illnesses. I question, like chemical sensitivity syndrome or 
multiple personality syndrome, or what was that one in the eighties? Was all these like upper middle? You don't think multiple personality disorder is real? <laughs> no, and my and, and stipulate my cousin had it. I say no more. Okay, so here's the second question. We're totally the same side about Havana syndrome. It sounds just like there has been at, I, ne- I, very I little it. evidence that it's actually like something of its own category of illness besides just kind and of not a contagion. And not a contagion. And then the the fact, the idea that like Russia is like beaming Havana syndrome into agents and like FBI and that's that's there's even less evidence for that. Why? That why? Why? Wait, that could happen. You think Putin nobody? I'm saying it? there's less evidence that it is happening. Yeah, they not that they, it, because they don't know how to do it. They, yeah, and it might not even be possible. Right. But in any case, there's no evidence that it's been done. Do you think this is some deep state plot to get us to go to war with Russia or invade Cuba? Although I'm not buying into your dark view of the world either. I just don't. I just, I think people are suggestionable, and there are, as we said, contagions of hysteria. We see it all the time. I don't believe. Also, I don't believe that girls' lives are being destroyed by Instagram. Okay. Well, that's. Think? I, I, I don't know. Like, I know Jonathan your boy, Hyde. No. Jonathan Haidt. Yeah, but I, I, he is my boy. I, he's brilliant. And everyone should listen to his talks. He's sound on almost every other topic. But I think he's been drawn in. And I only say this because every 10 or 15 years, there is another kind of panic around the fragile psychology of girls. Girls are sound. They're strong. The majority are resilient. They're human beings. And I think it's actually... Uh, demeaning to constantly claim that we're young ladies are falling apart. They're not. Okay, Jonathan, I sorry, you don't win this one according to my stepmother. I don't know. I haven't looked into this evidence. I abstain from. Uh, I oh, think that's that's brave of you. But just instinctively, what do you think? Instinctively, it wouldn't surprise me if it was bullshit. Um, but it also wouldn't surprise me if it was real. It's like it's you know, like I could see how it's fucking a lot of girls up. But would they be fucked up anyway? That's the thing I can't figure out. Yeah. So probably our reasoning behind this is different. Is no, different. Oh, like yeah, you're just reflexively trying to defend like the Facebook Corporation, <laughs> uh, whereas I I actually like oh, you hate all corporations. I'm just very skeptical oh, of these early, kinds or, of earlier like, I asked studies. him about corporations. He couldn't define them. He couldn't state why he was opposed to them. It what just- do you? I said. I said that I, well, I was opposed to their political power in this country. Okay. Uh, long COVID. So uh, you're skeptical. You've already. I mean, I, I, to. I'm you even skeptical. Kind of- like, can we? Uh, is, like Ross Douth, he had long Lyme. Long Lyme disease. Yeah. No, he did have it. I guess. And I don't want to. I, I, I don't want to be mean. But if you, the more you listen to him. And his symptoms, I it's uh, I don't know. It seems a little strange. Like he may there may be a psychological element to some of these things. Uh, okay, let's move off him. Long COVID. It's mostly middle class white women that have long COVID. Many of them have never had COVID, but they have long COVID. Yeah. This makes me skeptical, and I think it might. There are some afflictions that I think are typical of Karens. Dare I say? So you think that long COVID is like mother's little helper. Like there's these women. That would be that- fine. That would be fine. I'm in favor of all the helpers we can get. This is not a helper. This no, no, no. I mean, but it's convention. the same kind of person that like goes running to the shelter. Are you demeaning the, 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 uh, the, the, middle-aged women that take drugs? 
No, I'm saying it's that kind of woman that in the past would go and just kind of get lost in Valium back when things were cool. But then now they claim to have long COVID. No, they were different groups always. And I've been there. I can tell you. The people that take Val... How do you pronounce it? Valium? Valium. The people who take Valium. You know- Valium. <laughs> yes, it absolutely is Valium. One of our abiding regrets when you were a child is that we didn't send you to a class for diction. Oh, actually, you did go to a class. Valium. No, Valium. <laughs> well, now it sounds weird coming out of my mouth. Valium. No, no. You can't, he can't say Valium. it. Valium. Valium? That's what you think? It's like Valium? It's Valium. I don't know. Is she right? Yeah. And his wife backs me up, Okay. But have I been doing that my whole life? Yeah. No. You know, you've said Valium correctly in your life. I, but are you sure? All right. This is just, it's the teachable moment. It's Valium, apparently. I'm wrong. Like, I'm sure I'll hear from your followers about how I got destroyed on the pronunciation. So about your- uh, here's a question, like, that could maybe get us, again, common ground. But, like, a year from now, are we still going to be, like, is there still going to be pressure to wear masks? Is COVID still going to be a part of our lives yes. next year at this time, at Thanksgiving? It's going to be a measure of the health of the society. And I don't mean health in sense of strength in regards to disease, but the control of the society by the concernocrats in the safety culture, and in, in my neighborhood, which are your people. They're no, they're leftists. definitely not. They're not leftists. They're, they're Fauci worshipers. They do have. They do have. It's the, the, this creepiest thing. There's like like pictures of him on lawns no, they're, in, uh, in your neighborhood. I, like, I, very uncomfortable. It's weird. And I want to have more parks, and I want to have multiple. They vote against it. We can't get anything in this town because of these. You're your people. But. The They're definitely is, not my people. The point is, and I do have one. What the hell were we talking about? Uh, we're talking about COVID and whether this oh, is oh, so my this is like this is we're going to fucking agree about this. Like I, I think that's that this is a real problem that we don't know how to tolerate risk at all with this thing, and this thing is going to be around and forever. Just do simple cost benefit analyses and yeah. the cost what and the and the toll that we've taken on children with our school policies. But what worries me is that for a certain percentage of people, mostly liberals, but yeah, all liberals, uh, they are not going to give it up. They love the opportunity to be uh, concerned and worried and, and err on the side of caution. I walk at night. I walk my dog at 10 o'clock at night, and I see people with masks alone walking their dogs. But see, that's not what concerns me. Like, people do weird shit all the time, and if they want to wear a mask outside, it's when that becomes, like, the norm, and that becomes the thing that now all of a sudden, you know, people just have to mask up indoors indefinitely. No, there's going to be a variant. I mean, look, COVID right now is not, doesn't pose a, a, a mortal danger to anybody who's been vaccinated. And if people choose not to be vaccinated, okay, fine, that's your choice. So you're an uh, anti-vax. I mean, it's not a huge shocker, but yes. I am not anti Oh, I've never been anti Okay, that's how you... We are now past the risk of... And I am in the age group that's most vulnerable. I have the identity of of an at-risk person. 
But and this, I'm finished so with this, this is all, COVID shit. This all goes back to the bicycle helmet thing, which I was on earlier than anybody else. Not, yeah, like, you know, to make a sustained philosophical argument against bicycle you helmets. Know, you know, and Dutch, I was right. And this is like the, the result this, of it. Like, you know, and helmet. it's not even like I'm anti, like we should mask in like, it's just that we have to recognize that there are costs to doing that. And, so and you, they don't factor in like what we've done to children. It's inhibited their their, their right. language you can't development. That. It's well, you it's not immediate and obvious, and so they can just go by a few figures, and then they're frightened. But I'm afraid they're not going to give it up. I think they've been they're intoxicated with the the power of regulating and and censuring people, and it's we'll see. But I, I but an honest answer, I think, in a year from I mean, I'm already over it. Everybody here in Houston's over it. It's only in my neighborhood where they're they're never going to be over it. Eliza's, yeah, we're actually, I think, pretty reasonable about it here in Houston. So, like, I don't know why I'm complaining about it so much. Like, uh, I came, I, like, in the airport in Washington, D.C., everybody had a mask, and I'm just mask, at this point, mask averse, because why? I have been vaccinated. Everybody, other reasonable person has, so to hell with you. But I come to Houston, people aren't wearing masks. All right, next topic. Uh, <laughs> We have a lot to come up, but we don't know if we'll get to all of these. Brett and Eric Weinstein really buy what they're saying about, like, ivermectin. I, I don't know enough about this to have an opinion. Like, so, uh, do you have an opinion about this? I don't know why it's even on here. I don't even know why they got into it, because it's kind of a ridiculous topic. I mean, everybody should get the vaccine. Everybody should get the booster. And then move on. Okay. JFK assassination. <laughs> Oh, was that uh, Oswald uh, acting alone? I mean, like, what's your number? Like, here's where I want to hear a number. We haven't been using numbers, but, like, I want to hear a number. One to ten. Oswald acted alone for the JFK assassination. Eleven. He acted alone. It is the most... Are you kidding me? Like, that's that's insane. I want to say that... There was a time, and I was a great Mort Saul fan, and so was my dad. And Mort Saul, the comedian, and some of you are too young to know who he was, so to hell with you. But he really got into it with Mark Lane, and that was my first conspiracy theory. And that's what cured me, I think. Because in the end, my dad and I went through, and we believed that there was a secret bullet, a magic bullet. It couldn't possibly have been Oswald. Do you know what? It was Oswald. It was Lee Harvey Oswald. And if there was a conspiracy... If he was connected to the mafia or it was the CIA, somebody would have told. People can't keep secrets. Forget your conspiracy theories. Human beings aren't good enough for real conspiracies. They're not disciplined enough. First of all, this idea that somebody would have told if people have told. Like, every, oh, yeah. like so many people have talked about oh, the grassy knoll. So oh, many no, people like, Oh, not the grassy knoll. Name a name and then go... Google it, and you'll just find a charlatan and a fool. Second of all, you don't even believe this. Like, I've had conversations with you where you were like, yeah, it could have been, like, some CIA. No, 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 the CIA is not. It's First of all, they they didn't want him dead. They absolutely wanted him dead. They were a bunch of lefties. The CIA. Gloria Steinem. So... Uh, I, she doesn't believe this. She's performing right now. I don't know why, but like the yes. No, okay, okay. So right, let me right. give my answer to that. Oh yeah, yeah. Two. Do you know about Oswald? Do you know his history? Do you know his story? Fair play for Cuba. Do you know he he was a he he he, he defected to Russia. A he, lot of people did. 
And, and then just came back. And then it was like, oh, welcome back. Like, uh, here. Oh, uh, there's, ne- there's never a screwball who kind of slips through. And, 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 and then he starts happens. working for anti-communist organizations. And then he's going to Havana. And then he's going, no, like, like does he, it? All right, all right stipulate. He could have been a rogue low-level CIA informant. That I mean, that, 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 there's possibilities. But even that doesn't pan out because it's all been investigated. So then you think that Jack Ruby thought about the prospect of a trial, the upcoming trial. Jack Ruby, who is like importing prostitutes from Mexico. A bad guy. It just makes it a little unlikely that he was like, I can't see oh, so Jackie not- going through... He loved, right. <laughs> he loved Jackie. I don't want her going through at a trial. And so he breaks in and just decides to kill Oswald. He just wanted to kill the motherfucker because he did love Jackie. She was a beautiful woman. What's not to, I mean, this is what I'm nature. saying. That's human. No, that's human nature. That is human nature. Let's go on. Let's get off politics. I'm going to skip the Jeffrey Epstein suicide because you'll probably say it was definitely a suicide and like we don't need to get into that. So definitely a suicide. Alien life. There are extraterrestrials that know about us. They don't necessarily have to have come here, but they're aware of us in some way. And maybe they've come here. It's like sad. one to ten. It's sad to think that they've come here and they just shrug their shoulders and just found us uninteresting. Yeah, but, you know, it wouldn't be that surprising, right? Like, I mean, what if they came down and it just happened to be, like, the Pussy March or the Women's <laughs> March? <laughs> <laughs> like, I thought, oh, oh fuck. Like, fuck <laughs> this. Hey, we're getting out of here. I thought this might be fun, but no. <laughs> and you can't blame them. I mean, if you came to a planet, and they, were, they were wearing the hats, and there was the Karens, and then the march of the cat. Let's get the fuck out of here. Get the fuck out of here. But uh, let me just tell you that your dad, and maybe it was your was your godfather Leslie Orgel? No, my godfather was Yehuda fucking Amichai. Oh, that's even better. Or yeah. maybe David's godfather was Leslie Orgel, one of you kids, and his. His friend was Francis Crick, and they were at the Salk Institute, brilliant biologists, but they were puzzled by the origins of life. And they came up with a theory, which they introduced, and partly as a joke, but I think they actually believed it because I was at the table when they talked about it. It was called directed panspermia. Directed panspermia? Yeah. <laughs> what that did, that's not really what it was called, really. Directed panspermia? directed panspermia and they seeded they thought that the universe i mean they were reasonable the universe is so vast and so old a lot can go on but everywhere on earth and any form of life we found on earth you do find a constant which is the universality of the genetic code and they saw a certain um as if it was almost had been coded and they postulated that we had been seeded intelligent life from another planet for whatever reason yeah, yeah. they may have just planted some little seeds and put the codes and started this whole damn thing yeah i kind of believe it yeah that would explain a lot yeah. but the question is then did they are they keeping track of us is it some experiment or again well, i want to live long enough to find out of this place and there's so many unanswered questions yeah and you have those kind of Illuminati connections that they would tell you like way before they would tell me I know the I know the um, upper echelons of the 
What are those groups that run the Carlisle Group? Where they pick the presidents they and prime ministers. Presidents and everything. Yeah. They, they're doing everything. Yeah, yeah. And Anne Applebaum is, I think she's a member. <laughs> that would make sense. <laughs> that wouldn't surprise me. I'm so, not dissing on Anne. I adore her. and She's brilliant. And you know. Uh, a- Alien Life Knows About Us is a what? I hate to say this because I'm not sure I believe it, but I have to think it's probably a six. Yeah, that sounds right for me. Yeah. Six. I'd go six, seven, five, depending on the day. Yeah. And it's just based on, like, inferences about the way the world is and the universe is and insufficient evidence. But I'm not yeah. going to close my mind entirely. Last one. Some sort of divinity that is either responsible for our creation or, you know, concerned concerned in some way. But it doesn't have to be both. Just like, you know, it can be like the sea, they seeded us and then they're like, like this is what the Epicureans thought. They, well, yeah, they created everything and they're like, all right, enough of this. We're going on to the new thing. Or they are concerned with us. Maybe they didn't create us, but they're concerned with us. I would love to believe that. I am actually envious of religious people. But since age 9 or 10, I have not been able to believe it. It doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense. I, there's too much counter evidence. But I'm open to, I'm open to persuasion. Yeah, I don't know about the counter evidence. It's just that there's not enough evidence of it. Like, I mean, counter evidence to my position. Yeah. Um, that's bourbon, yeah, which you can yeah. have. But. No, I don't want a date rape drug at this point. <laughs> that's weird. Uh, you were the one that had us all in the hot tub. So the point is, what do you think about the conspiracy theory about critical race theory? It's definitely like one of the least believable conspiracy theories. Like it's like just completely made up by your people. But it's like obviously not. I mean, we've talked about this. I don't know. We don't need to belabor no, my far opinion. Into the podcast that I can state categorically. Oh, I forgot what I was going to say, and I had a statement. I have my notes. Let's see. No, it's not coming up. Um, what were we talking about before? No, we were talking about the divinity. Oh, we were past that. Okay, we no, were-, we're not past that. I haven't said what I think about it. Well, what do you think about it? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Nobody wants to hear it. Oh, yeah. We, people want to hear your thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm a little more... <laughs> A little more open to it than I used to be, but you know, I don't, I don't fully feel it. But you know, your dad dad was an atheist; he couldn't help it from a very young age, and he had to leave rabbinical school and study philosophy. It was the only place that would take credits from a goddamn divinity school. But anyway, he went there. But he always, he didn't like atheists; they annoyed him because they hadn't. He and he earned it. Because he went into the depths of absolute right. conviction. These atheists these days, these young atheists, they just, uh, they think they can come up. Okay, I do think, though, that this all this meditation stuff has made me think that, like, we there is something possibly interconnected about everything in a way that I didn't think before. Not just, yeah, interconnected, like, but we can get glimpses into it. And when you get glimpses into, like, this other kind of reality, this different layer or dimension of reality, it's, 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 it is something that we can't explain with our science and that I, like, I could see thinking of those kinds of experiences as, uh, godlike or related to God. It's 
Well, I don't know. I, I have had those experiences. On, I don't say when I took it. LSD, DMT. And you have these spiritual experiences and you see a different domain. But, you know, it wasn't as fascinating as a great Oscar Wilde play. It wasn't, I mean, it was, I'm, I don't respect it as much as spiritualists do. And I'm not being sexist here, but it's mostly men, some women, but mostly men that have these spiritual experiences and they, they run away to meditation centers and meditate for 11 hours. I think it's depression in men. And they're just not attuned to the, the lively. I mean, I, I, I do not wish to meditate. And in fact, if you, if you tango, you get more of a high than meditating. That's all. All I'm saying is that you get glimpses and maybe and through and maybe in a similar uh, variety, um, you know, having taken some hallucinogenics myself, like I, I get that there is a uh, some overlap here. But my point is, it doesn't matter like how it gets there and whether med you, through meditation or anything. I get why people will associate those kinds of experiences with God or something deeply spiritual that is not explainable by our current scientific paradigms. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that we understand it or know what it is. And as your father once said, he was at a, actually a, de a debate in Israel, and someone was denying that we had enough evidence to support the existence of God, and then someone in the audience said, but what, at, what about on the other side of the cosmos? We have no idea. And then the speaker said, what business is of yours what's on the other side of the cosmos? You have no idea. You, there's no basis for an opinion. We have, no, we have no basis for an opinion. And why isn't it just fantasy and or even like chaotic brain chemistry, which is what I suspect by these men that get into meditation. And Do you journal as well? No, that's my brother. Oh, God. Uh, the alleged conceptual <laughs> sense haver. <laughs> Be careful of men who keep journals. I'm just telling you. All right. Uh, I think on that note, <laughs> beware of men that keep journals. We should wrap this up. Narcissists. This was Narcissists. And, and also meditators. I mean, okay, a little meditation, it's fine. I'm not against it. And I have nothing against people with... With, with, what is that disorder that everybody has now? Celiac disease, but, it, oh, oh gluten-free people. Some people genuinely have it, but most are faking. <laughs> okay. On that note, <laughs> uh, we will bring this segment to a close. Thank you so much uh, for being here. We have uh, <laughs> a lot of people who are kind of just looking at us, you know, like it was a train wreck. I have no idea why, but it was fun as always. And uh, we'll be back. And we'll be right back. Gen 1 1 Hands of Kittens. And we'll be, we'll be right back to talk about Primer with special guest Barry Lamb. Today's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Check out betterhelp.com slash VBW. Life is full of stressors. It doesn't matter who you are or what you have. Your life is probably stressful. And now that the holiday season is approaching, there's a whole new set of things to weigh down on us. Traveling, difficult family members. I mean, look, you heard in the opening segment, I know all about difficult family members. And you may not be feeling down and out and depressed or like you're at a total loss, but if your stress is high and your temper is shorter than usual, or even if you're just starting to feel that strain and anxiety about your relationships, you could probably use it the chance to unload. 
So unload the stress and get it out. Talk to someone who's completely unbiased about your life. Someone who isn't going to judge you or take sides on anything. They can give you a fresh perspective on the difficulties that you're facing. When there are things you feel like you can't tell anyone and you just need to unload it, well, that's what therapy can be. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Unload the stressors and get some unbiased feedback. You'd be pretty surprised at what you might gain. Just try it and see if it's for you. BetterHelp is a longtime sponsor of Very Bad Wizards, and Very Bad Wizards listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash VBW. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash VBW. Thanks to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. Welcome back to Very Bad Wizards. This is the time of the episode, the predictable time that we like to thank all of our listeners and our community for um, just your wonderful feedback, your interaction with us, uh, your your willingness to engage with us and with each other. We really appreciate all, all of the messages, especially in a gr- grateful season like it is right now. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to talk to us, if you want to get in touch with us, you can always email us, verybadwizards at gmail.com. As we always say, we try to read every single email, but we can't possibly get to them all. Um, well, we can. That's ambiguous. We can <laughs> read them all. We just can't reply to We cannot reply high, to them yes, all. Yeah, that's a right. high percentage. Um, better percentage, though, if you tweet to us, uh, at verybadwizards or mm-hmm. at tamler and at peas. Um, especially if you tweet something trolly to us and get us in a moment of weakness, <laughs> you might be able to get a reply. Call Dave uh, a racist and you'll yeah, get a reply, right. almost <laughs> certainly, 95%. <laughs> like an apology. I'll just like do a long apology for, for coming across as insensitive. Exactly. <laughs> um, uh, you can uh, engage in discussion with fellow listeners, if you go to the Reddit community, and sometimes us, if you go to reddit.com slash r slash very bad wizards, where you can um, 
uh, get in arguments or post random trolley memes because I think that's mostly what, <laughs> what happened <laughs> lately. <laughs> they, they just never get tired of it. You no, know? I know. So so yeah, go to Reddit. You can go to Instagram um, at Very Bad Wizards and you can follow our episode releases there um, and sometimes comments. Mm-hmm. Um, we very much appreciate it if you would take a moment to give us a rating and even a review on Apple Podcasts. Did you see we just we just got our a little update today with uh, there's a nice review. We haven't yeah. gotten review. We haven't been getting a ton of reviews. Yeah, um, please. Uh, I, I don't know. Like sometimes I hear podcasts say that they'll read their favorite reviews. Should we do that or no? This is already too well, long. This my favorite, yeah, my favorite reviews are actually just like the the ones that would be in really poor taste for me to read out loud cuz it's compl- complimenting us. <laughs> right, uh, not poor taste in the sense that it's yeah. cuz I was no, no. when I first threw that I was like, wait, isn't our that's the whole point of our podcast. Poor no. <laughs> right. Uh yeah, rate us Apple Podcasts, listen to us or subscribe on Spotify and tell a friend if you if you think they might enjoy it. Um, so thank you. Yeah, and if you'd like to support us in more tangible ways, you can find all the different ways to do that on the support page on our website, verybadwizards.com slash support. You can give us a one-time or a recurring donation on PayPal. You can get some merch. We have a, a lot of merch out there that you can get. Coffee coffee mugs. I'm drinking out of one right now. Yeah, um, I saw that. And um, you can become one of our patrons, our beloved Patreon supporters. Um, we have several different tiers of support. Um, at all levels will get ad-free episodes and occasional posts and then two dollars and up per episode we'll get bonus episodes we gotta do another one of those this month yeah we do five dollar and ups we'll get um to vote on a new um episode for us you know the topic for a new episode i gotta put out a call for ideas and and everybody can give ideas, and then we'll narrow it down to some finalists. The five dollar and up people get to vote, and we are bound by the will of yeah, for the, better or for, for worse. For better or for worse. So far, for better. Those episodes have all been really good, I think. Yeah. And then we end up getting like set like seven or eight topics out of it um, to do That's anyway. Right. And then uh, for our $10, oh, you also get at the $5 level your lectures and our Brothers Karamazov miniseries, five episodes on the Brothers Karamazov that we recorded now about a year and a half ago, right? Holy shit, yeah. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then the $10 and up will get monthly Ask Us Anything videos. Um, we're about to record another one of those probably, I don't know, this weekend. Um, post it then because we have some good questions. Uh, that I don't know if you looked at them yet. No, I haven't seen anything. <laughs> yeah, there's some good questions there. Yeah, so um, thank you so much to everybody who supports us. It means the world to us, and we really, really appreciate it. All right, now we're going to be joined by Professor Barry Lamb. Barry is an associate professor, and he's actually chair of the philosophy department. Did you know that? At I Vassar. did. Yeah. I don't know I mean, what he he's told doing. the story. It didn't. It's not in the episode, but he no. told kind of a crazy story about that. Maybe. Yeah. I, I don't know why anybody would be chair of anything, but I, yes. uh, I can't imagine. <laughs> 
He is originally from California, which means I like him. We bonded over that. Uh, he went to UC Irvine and got his PhD in philosophy at Princeton. And now he does, you probably know him best if you know him at all, as the host of the High Nation podcast, a wonderful podcast on philosophy. And that's at HiFination.org. We'll talk a little bit more about the podcast when we bring him on, but check it out. We'll put links to it. So yeah, let's bring Barry on. All right. Well, we're happy to welcome to the podcast for the first time, at least on the, the main feed, and also me getting to talk to, to him, uh, Barry Lamb. Welcome to Very Bad Wizard. Yeah, welcome. Hey, guys. Big fan of the show. I listen every every two weeks. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you. That's great. <laughs> um, Barry has his own podcast that we've often referred to as exactly the sort of podcast that we're completely and utterly incapable of ever doing. <laughs> it's a different format. Oh, very, all, you, yeah. I can't do what you're doing, right? <laughs> Well-produced, uh, uh, high fination, uh, amazing podcast on, I guess, the Slate Network, right? That's right. That's right. I'm on yeah. Slate. The, yeah. the Breakthrough Philosophy Podcast. Uh, no. uh. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's not the breakthrough. It's a, so many people, all of you who got into podcasting earlier have like larger audiences than me because like you guys hit the hit hit when people wanted to listen. And what I wanted to do was just to create the um, like a documentary type show rather yeah. than a discussion based yeah. show. So really the, the way to describe it is, OK, it's a documentary type type show. Yeah. about philosophy yeah it's this well, american life but on ph philosophical issues and topics. philosophical like, issues and like philosophical yeah. like stories you know so like mm -hmm. things that happen right. in the world like news magazine type stuff and incredibly well produced so highly recommended check out uh hi-fi nation but also i just want to point out like one man shop pretty obviously you have people come on and do interviews but you chop that thing up all by yourself like how long does it take you to do one episode oh my god like two to three months really so when it actually comes down to making a 40 minute episode it's two weeks full time right so about 80 Jeez. hours to make 40 minutes of actual cutting tape and like writing narration that's, and soundtracking. That's about how much we take, right? <laughs> Do you? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Weird. And then the interviews itself, yeah, the interviews itself, it's like, you know, you book people, um, it takes about an hour to, or two hours to read their stuff and about an hour to interview them, that kind of stuff. Um, and that's just to get tape. Um, so combined, I would say like maybe about 100 hours per episode. <laughs> and you do all of that? You don't have an editor or a producer? No, I do. Or I, I do yeah. all of it. The only thing that I farm out is for most, not, but not all of the interviews, I have them transcribed by a research assistant. But that's after mm. software. So the software, you know, gives right. you like the thing and then they chop it up and put timestamps in it for me because right. I, cut, I cut on paper and on tape, like combined. Oh, yeah. Right. So I have cool. all of the interviews in front of me um, and then I try to figure out how to put it together because if it's not just an open discussion with people, you kind of like... Like I just did one on like altruistic kidney donation. So like, how do you incorporate the person who got their kidney, you know, taken out yeah. with like the people who are arguing about altruism and versus <laughs> that kind right. of stuff? And so most of the time is taken just thinking about how to put that together. And, what, and right. you do the music too, or you decide on the music? And I decide. I do the soundtracking. I don't. I don't make. I mean, I tried making it for a bit, but I'm not as good as Dave. <laughs> and like Please. if I had Dave's skills, I would just like put all like my own beats underneath. But um, but I don't. I, I I look for music that I think fits the theme of an episode. So I kind of have to listen to 
the theme of the sh- episode and the voices to figure out what kind of sound I want. So why David Lewis? That's the theme for this year, uh, right? right? This season. For, uh, how many episodes on David Lewis? Four so far? Yeah, we just I did four. It's going to be a four total. So it's a four-part series okay. on the life and work of David Lewis. So it's not a special story. Like So for instance, like every episode, I'd want to have a story paired with philosophy right but with david lewis it's like time travel oh am i going to find some guy who time traveled and then like do a story (laughs) (laughs) do david lewis on time travel no it wasn't so 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 with dave with the david lewis series the way it just got started was i was i found myself in australia on a production trip i was invited to the anu there by seth lazar and i was at down there and i was just getting taped for various other things that turned out to be season three of the show and i i remembered in graduate school that david lewis just spent all of his, I guess, the summers, but it's winter there in Australia, in Australia, and he had deep roots in Australia. So there, I said, there must be people who um, remember David Lewis, and this they're all getting up there. They're all like 70, 80 years old. So I'll start by collecting um, footage of their memories of David Lewis, and that's all I'm going to do. I don't know what I'm going to do with that. Mm-hmm. And then the pandemic hit, and I just had all this tape, and I need to make a new season. So I'm like, oh, let, let me pursue. Let me pursue this because instead of trying to go out there and get more tape, um, right. and it just so happened that it's the 20th anniversary of his death, and also his 80th birthday because he died when he was 60. And I yeah. remember it very clearly because it was my first year of graduate school. I went to Princeton. I didn't take a class with David Lewis because he passed away one month after my orientation. It was just. Oh, wow. It was just after 9/11. Right. So that's, this is where it comes from. Right. So he was this giant figure who in the first month I started graduate school died. Um, there was a <clears throat> very, um, I guess, kind of compelling story about how he died, which is the opening story of the entire se- yeah. series. I listened, like, I listened to that opening episode to prepare for this and also just because it's great. And uh, that is a terrible story. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I didn't. I didn't get a chance to get through the episode, but I listened to that part. Like I listened to that story, and yeah, it was sad, man. <laughs> sad. Yeah. So that's so that's how he. Um. So it's how he died, and uh. And so I thought, yeah, there's no better way. Like I got. I'll. I'll. I'll make a three part series or four part series. I'll go through what episodes of his life that are interesting. He wasn't a particularly flashy guy. It wasn't like he was, you know, having parties and or whatever. You know, like it comes across right. just the kind of person that he was <laughs> as opposed to all the other philosophers you mean, who right. are like he, doing coke he, and like having <laughs> he well like i think there were there's a segment of the philosophical community that was i don't know not swingers and partiers but they were normal people but then there was this other contingent and i think he was one of them and the most beloved member of this contingent like not quite as weird as Saul Kripke and like and and as unhygienic <laughs> and so, were, he he was just this philosopher's philosopher. They just loved him. I mean, like every when I went to grad school with my professors and their professors all just worshipped David Lewis. He was yeah. like a paradigm. Yeah, every. I mean, the thing is, nobody says they believe his most prominent views, but everybody, right. everybody, without exception, would admire him. And that's not true of like you know his. Uh, advisor quine right like i can't stand reading quine and i'll say that right but you but like nobody actually says they can't stand david lewis right they like they're like okay if david lewis wrote a paper on something that you're thinking about you better go damn read the paper yeah i don't know if i go that far (laughs) well that tamler doesn't read any philosophy so it's not gonna it's not gonna resonate (laughs) um 
so David Lewis has always been, for me, someone who's not a philosopher, not trained in philosophy, didn't go to grad school in philosophy, didn't, you know, my, my entry into the world of philosophy was later and, and not professional. David Lewis is like worshipped by philosophers, but weirdly, like I think just random people like Nagel are more well known by non-philosophers. Absolutely. It seems like especially yeah. not well known given the amount that he's yeah. respected, the degree to which he's respected. So what is it about Lewis that is, that, that causes this sort of paradox though, like yeah. the asymmetry between I, d- I don't and- know because, you know, it's one of those things where I even say in the series, at the beginning of the series, here's somebody who was a giant figure of 20th century philosophy that most of you haven't heard of. And then right. my slate editor says, yeah, I never heard of this guy. Like, who, who is this yeah. guy? I, and, and, I, and I couldn't tell you why. I mean, you can hypothesize. You can say, well, he worked in technical areas. You could say that, right? And he worked in the areas in which people know him best in the academy outside of philosophy is in theoretical linguistics and semantics. So if right. you work in a department like that, you, you would know papers. His most cited papers are in the philosophy of language, it's, which is surprising because in philosophy, he's most known for what he seemed to care most about, which is in metaphysics. And um, But he did a lot of the work that eventually became like pragmatics or formal semantics or, you know, rules of conversation. His dissertation was on convention, which was the application of game theory to various things, social conventions, which he, to which he included linguistic conventions. I'm told by reputable sources that those are the things that are most long lasting about Lewis in areas in academia outside. But those are things that are particularly like popular you know, outside of academia, right? He's, right? He wasn't a figure who had views about, you know, social political issues. Um, he never spoke to an audience outside of philosophy, really. Um, and he was, um, if people go through the entire series, he was he was weird. He was, <laughs> right? He, yeah. he was the kind of person where you have a conversation with him, he would stop. This is bad radio, but he would, it would be like 10, 20 seconds of silence. And then he would say <laughs> something like this. I have 14 objections. <laughs> number one, number two, there are six things you can say in response to the third objection, four of which are decisive. That's the kind of guy he was, right? right. And that's why philosophers admire him. I didn't know he sounded exactly like Josh Nope. <laughs> yeah, Josh, you know, I have a, so a, much faster than Lewis would. <laughs> um, I have a, a theory that his name just isn't memorable. <laughs> right. And this might be because I'll tell you what, I knew about the um, Mad Pain and Martian Pain article. Right. Like I, I could tell, but for a long time of knowing that article, I wouldn't remember who had written it. Wow. Like I would. Yeah. And, and even though like at that point, I'd probably heard people say David Lewis's name uh, quite a bit. Maybe it's something as boring. As well, that's actually a good transition maybe to his views on time travel since we're going to talk about primer at some length you know he had that um and i know this from listening to your episode this idea the future is just essentially in the past and everything is just stamped down all at once that's right and and everything that happens on it is already happened going to happen it's all fixed it's all a fact already um so from what tamla said am i understanding right that he was the sort of person who believed that everything was fixed such that 
paradoxes in time travel just were impossible? Right. That- Not all paradoxes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just depends on what he wanted to say. So his view about time travel is the... Um, so a movie like 12 Monkeys is like a perfect example. Yeah. So there are um, there are quintessentially Lewisian time travel movies. 12 okay. Monkeys is one. I you, you might say like Lost the series is like a Lewisian one, right? So... so um, a Lewisian time travel movie. I'm trying to think of other ones, but the the, the but yeah. so the movie Predestination. Have you seen it? No, I haven't. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, that's that's like a it's one it's it's a it's a snake eating its tail. It's it's nothing nothing can happen to change. Right. Sorry, spoil, spoiler. Yeah, that's <laughs> exactly the David yeah. Lewis view. If you're in the same world and you're time traveling within the same world, the fact that you it's in your past now. If you traveled to you know 1979, um, in your past now means that you it already happened in your past. So when you move forward and travel back in time, right, um, there's nothing that you could do by time traveling that's any different from what has already happened in the past before you time traveled. And that, so any right. movie or any TV show that depicts that is a quintessentially Lewisian movie. And I'm, so you know, wait, let me just make sure I understand. So you had Megan Sullivan yeah. on your, from Notre Dame on the podcast. And she was saying, if she you know, lived till 2020, went back, wanted to meet her parents in the 80s and hang out with them. She could do that. Yeah. And then just decided not to get back in any time travel machine, but just live her life from then on. Would there be then, and this was always true, two Megan Sullivans um, from 1988 to 2022. So this is another part of Lewis's, Lewis's view. There would be two stages of Megan Sullivan. Right. But Megan Sullivan is the sum total of all of their temporal stages. So this is how he solved the problem of personal identity with respect to time travel. Right. Could there be one and the same person, one who's standing and one who's sitting? And that's a contradiction. And the, the response to that is, well, there are two person stages and every single person you meet in time is a person stage, not a person. To be a person is just the entire space time thing. Okay. Yeah. But I guess just to get the practical details down from that, could that Megan have gone to Boston while the other one stayed in wherever she was, her parents were and just grew up like that? And even if they are ultimately the same Megan, there are now, you know, in this world, there would just be two of them existing at the same time. One as a younger version, one as an older version. Yeah, absolutely. That's possible. Yeah, that's possible. on Lewis's view. And, 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 um, and the the thing that Lewis would add is that this older Megan who time traveled, um, it had always been true in her past, right. even before she time traveled, that there was this other Megan while she was young, right? right. But she yeah, can't exactly. kill infant Megan. That's right. That's right. Yeah. That's right. She, she can't, like the bullet would jam or just something would happen that yeah. made it not right. the case. Yeah. I would say it's even more than that. It, it, the bullet would jam, and it was always true that the bullet jammed because it was right. <laughs> in that Megan's past that's right. that, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. that some right. future version tried to shoot her and the bullet jammed. Okay, so yeah. well, I guess my question was, so this is a substantive view on time travel. I like it. It seems as plausible as any to me, but it seemed like the way he got there based on what you said was just the possibility of time travel meant that you have to have this kind of four-dimensional view of personhood and of the universe. So is it just the conceptual possibility of time travel that made him endorse this substantive view about how everything works and how the world works and how people are? 
it may not have been only the conceptual possibility of time travel, um, but it plays a major part in how he thinks about, say, the self, right? The self has to be this four-dimensional thing, and each one of us at this moment are stages. The way David Lewis always argued holistically, so he would argue for every metaphysical view holistically, not on the basis of one thing. He would say, right. and then this temporal stage thing helps you solve this other problem, and that's a check in its favor. That's another distinctively Lewisian way of doing philosophy, which some people hate and some people absolutely love. I mean, I I actually think he has um, his legacy is as much methodological as it is substantive, which is um, this is how you argue. You don't say this is decisive reason in favor of your view, or this is a decisive reason against. Like like you just like do a check mark in its favor that the stage theory of persons solves the problem of you know, contradicting selves given the conceptual possibility of time travel. And then if there are th problems with that somewhere else, you put, put it a minus. And then if there's good things happen here, then you could right. put it a plus. And, and, and um, yeah. Assemble the best worldview you can. That's like, right. Or, yeah. That, that's super interesting. And and am I right in that his, his, his view of possible worlds was quite literal? It is. <laughs> It is. It's as yeah. literal as it gets, right? Right. So he actually believed he did. He he wasn't just saying like conceptually imagine there's a you know another world with this uh, this one mutation from our world. Yeah. He was saying no, it it exists. Famously, like it that's what distinguished yeah. Lewis from just about everybody else in philosophy. Like, Man, talk about talk about like biting the bullet. You know this. <laughs> well, I mean, like he said, like that. The only objection to that is that I typically get is the incredulous stare, which you're right. doing right now. Uh, right. Well, I mean, listeners most of the time when I talk to you, yeah. most of the time I, I, <laughs> I try in the series. I try to motivate it for people because it's it's one of those things where you know I'm trying to make the show for people who are more than just philosophy geeks, right? I'm trying to motivate and and I think right. that the view is easy to understand. Everybody can get it. Everybody's watched sci-fi, so they can get you know quantum leap going from one possible universe to another. Yeah. What they might not get is. How on earth can someone come to believe that on the basis of thinking about something else? <laughs> right? <laughs> and so Right, right, yeah. right. Yeah, usually it's <laughs> usually in like comic books it's yeah. just motivated by like the the physicists need to understand probabilistic superposition or whatever. Where you're just like, okay, the way that this resolves is one universe the you know, the, the photon goes left and one universe it goes right and that's perfectly fine. Um, but Lewis got there sitting down. No, yeah, that's right. Thinking and, about counterfactuals, right? Right. Right. Like the official line is that that's how he came to think about it. He thought about counterfactuals. He thought about causation. And he thought about all of the metaphysical things that will just hang together if you just assume this is true. So it's an inference right. to the best explanation. It's just if right. you assume this is true, lots of things will be nice for you. And so there's right. more t more check marks in its favor right. than, than not. Right. What's that Wilford Sellers quote? Like philosophy is trying to see how things hang together in the loosest possible sense, or hang in the loosest possible sense together in the loosest possible sense. Or That's something right. Like there that. is a, there is a yeah. quote like that. I remember that quote. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. uh, so I have to admit that uh, as as we get into discussing this this movie, I have to admit that my favorite time travel movies, independent of knowing who David Lewis was, are always ones in which nothing can change, because the you know, I love Back to the Future. It's one of my favorite movies of all time, but not because of its time travelness. Like, there, it's a great movie. Right. But you have these examples of terrible, terrible movies that that try to deal somehow with the paradoxes that arise, and they do so in such a miserable fashion. I, and it, Looper is one of yeah, them. Yeah, I can't. <laughs> where where it's like, wait, you know, you injure him in some future. 
I mean, so in some past, and then yeah. <laughs> in sort of real time, the scars start yeah. appearing. That's right. Or the right. arms that's just right. start like yeah. getting yeah. Uh, falling off, disa- yeah. falling yeah, yeah, off yeah. or disappearing. Yeah. yeah. No, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Uh, he. Yeah. It's an interesting contrast, Looper and Primer. We can maybe right. talk about it. Um, I think you know one is definitely a more mainstream he's not a, i guess he is a hollywood director at this point ryan johnson ryan johnson yeah. and the other is an engineer like just <laughs> scrounging up together seven thousand dollars but oh but he came to play when it when it uh comes to the actual like mechanics of how all this works right right so barry when have you you had watched i assume primer before no I, no you had what this is the first time i've seen primer no. oh, really wow <laughs> What did you think? I was so confused by the end of it. <laughs> I actually had yeah. to look up an explainer. And though explainers help a little bit, but not yeah. but not enough. Did you watch it, it again? I haven't. I've seen it. I've watched it once, but I've been thinking yeah. about it. That seems yeah. hard because yeah. I was like, even though I had seen it before, I watched it last night and then I was like, I got to watch it again now that yeah. I know. And then read explainers. I mean. I think you're like 99% of people who see this movie, like the first thing they do is go to Google and start saying <laughs> like primer explained or primer right. analysis or whatever. Right. There, uh, yeah, there is absolutely no way. I don't think you can, anybody who says they understood this movie after watching it the first time well, is, is full of shit. Yeah. And it came out in 2004 when it, that just wasn't, there wasn't that much stuff up about it probably. <laughs> right. So you really right. had to search it out then, but now you don't. There's tons of stuff on it. And listeners should definitely, we're going to spoil it. Listeners, to the extent that you can spoil something you don't fully understand. Uh, <laughs> right. And listeners should um, definitely watch this either once or twice um, before coming back and listening to the discussion because I'm excited yeah. to talk about it. Yeah, me too. All right. I'm glad we popped your primer cherry. <laughs> yeah. um, did you like it? Yes, I, I did. I did. Um, yeah. I look the the confusion is always going to be there, but I did feel that this movie behind the confusion there's something factual. Like there actually is a way that this movie is coherent, and like what we're seeing is an or there's an order of explanation there in a way that's kind yeah. of different from like other more artistically done movies like uh, like I don't know Lost Highway or like or something like like David Lynch or something where you're just like whoa. <laughs> Right. Yeah, we're just like we're gonna have to bring this episode to a close. (laughs) Thanks for joining us, Barry. I I loved I love David Lynch and I love Lost Highway. And when I watch that, I I just I think I think to myself, maybe there isn't anything for me to piece together here. I just need to enjoy just how how this is done and and how it's blowing my mind. And Primer wasn't just like oh this is blowing my mind. I I didn't feel that way. I felt like there's something going on. They're they're they they are trying to tell a consistent time travel story. I just need to think about it more. Yeah, and I think you know it is. I think Primer it's as about as coherent as I would think it would be possible to be. I think there are some paradoxes in there that, but it's 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 unclear. Just the attitude towards paradoxes. There's a line about it in the movie, yeah. which is I, like he says, "I don't believe that shit. I, I I figure it all works itself out. Right. The universe works itself out." And I think, like, I was wondering if that's a Lewisian kind of sentiment, because what he's saying is, "Look, it's whatever happens. The uh, universe can have it happen." Although I know there are elements that are not Lewisian, but just that idea that, look. This it's this is not something that's going to make everything collapse. It'll make maybe right. the father of uh, what's her name Rachel collapse, um, but it won't. Like the universe isn't going anywhere because of this. That is a Lewisian sentiment. 
It absolutely yeah. is. I am wondering about when I when I think about this film, there are particular lines that happen in this film, particular, you know, scenes which are thoroughly Lewisian in its view about time travel, and then other ones that are not. That's yeah. really interesting because there um usually if you have a film that's trying to be we're a changing the past kind of film. That we're clearly non-Lewisian. That's yeah. con- that's consistent throughout. Even if that makes no sense at the end of the day, they're consistently like we're a changing the past kind of film. Or if you're a right. Lewisian film, it's like a thoroughly Lewisian film. And this one was right. a little bit of both. And that's that's interesting. Well, because they're like that's one thing I like about it. They're trying to figure it out just like we are. So yeah. they don't know like if you can change. Like they have to run an experiment to see whether they like anything they do can actually affect the future. It's only when they realize, it's only when one of the guys messes up and brings his cell phone into the hotel where they're hiding out by mistake that they realize, oh shit, we can actually do something that will affect the future. But they didn't know at that point, you know? Right. And, and, and again, like we're talking about this abstractly, but maybe as we get into the details, we can see whether we even agree about what's <laughs> happening. Right. So is one of you so, going to give the spoiler, like the, the summary of the movie? Well, <laughs> well, yeah, let's give the broad. Give, why don't you give the broad sort of? Well, there are four engineers, but clearly, but our protagonists are two of them, Aaron and Abe, who I assume have both biblical and alphabetical significance. <laughs> right, A-A-B. <laughs> yeah, and, and they're all just these kind of broke engineers. This kind of brilliant way of doing a low-budget movie is have your characters also broke. And they're trying to find, like, venture capital money, uh, VC attention, as they say. Right. And, it's, and it's like the script is really good. Like, like I don't understand that stuff. But, like, I, I believe that this is how they would talk in this kind of situation. Yeah. And so he was a ma- he's a math major and then worked in software. And you it, this is just like an engineer wrote, you know, like wrote yeah. the dialogue. It's, it sounds, even the interruptions and the lack of explaining any, there's no exposition. There's no clumsy there's no exposition. Hand, there's, there's no yeah. clumsy exposition. There's no hand-holding. If you didn't get it, <laughs> You didn't get it. And in fact, if you didn't hear it, you probably didn't get it. Like, I'm I'm glad that I have subtitles because, you know, the sound production wasn't the best on the... I, <laughs> I did that for the first time in my whole life. Turned on the subtitles for the second my second viewing yeah. of the movie. Anyway, yeah. so they are working on a bunch of things. And I guess one of the friends comes up with Project and, um, and then Aaron and Abe take that in a direction that was not anticipated by anybody and they kind of keep it within themselves and I'm not going to go into any detail about how but they they figure out that it forms the basis for some sort of time travel machine but a time travel machine that will only let you go back in time from the moment you turn it on like you can't go right. back to, uh, previously in the past you also can't go into the future all you can do is go into that machine and for however long you stay in the machine right that's when you come out is that how it works that's yeah that's how many hours into the past you will have gone that's how many yeah, hours so, of the past yet that you will have gone yeah right. so if i turn on the machine at nine in the morning and i let it run until five i then get in the machine for all of those hours and i will emerge at nine in the morning when i turn the machine on right, right. and then one of the things that i missed out on the explainers explained to me is when they actually go to the hotel room so they, mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't. So the first watching, I was like, when are they going they, after they time travel? Yeah. Like, they go, right. they go to a hotel room after they turn the machine on. That's right. Right. Because, right. That's right. because they're hiding yeah. f- from their future selves who will be emerging from the time machine at the time they turned it on. 
That's right. right. So they set a timer. <laughs> they set a timer so that they the time machine will turn on automatically. They can scurry away, hide in a hotel room for six hours, and when when the machine turns on, uh, their their future selves emerge and can interact with the world with knowledge from the future. Yeah. Because what they do then is they spend six hours in the hotel just fucking around, except right at the end, they see what stocks have gone up significantly right. that day. Then they go get back in the machine and then come out as the other people. No, 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 no. Sorry, that's wrong. I think that's right. They come out of the they machine go- at 9 a.m., Oh, right. Yes. Right. At 9 a.m., they come out of the machine and then now can go make those trades. That's right. Yes. And they are the ones who persist in the timeline. Right. Because the ones who are in the hotel room then go. Are sitting around waiting to get into the machine. (laughs) They go into the machine. That's That's right. right. That's That's right. right. So that closes the loop. Exactly. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) There is something really interesting that I will, you know, maybe it'll come up organically. But, you know, this machine is so much about the the mechanics of time travel when you watch it and the mystery of what's going on um that that it's easy to miss the sort of commentary that it's making on just these guys and their relationship uh, yeah maybe it was just for me but that fact that they they at first are talking about like all of the the interesting things they might do with this machine whatever it turns out to be you know it could have so many applications but then they just go play the stock market that's what they do <laughs> like that's what they do the, the- yeah i mean i think they're sort of trying to figure it out and it's just the first week like they don't have they can't because of the time limitations there's only so much that they can do and so they figure they're going to make a ton of money at first not even wait for the lottery because that's six days from now from then (laughs) and so but yeah you're right they don't seem like good people they each have their you know interesting qualities um one of them aaron is a family man he has a wife and two kids that he barely seems to pay attention to <laughs> or care about. The other one has a girlfriend named Rachel, right? Yeah, that's is a major Rachel? plot driver right there. <laughs> Which is a major yeah. plot driver. And uh, But it seems like you learn that he envies Aaron's kind of family life. Yeah. And is Does not he have, I think he only has one daughter. Maybe one daughter, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah that's right. This episode of Very Bad Wizards is brought to you by one of our favorite and longest running sponsors, GiveWell.org. We love GiveWell. When you give to charity, do you know how much impact your donation will actually have? This question can be hard, if not impossible, to know. Most charities can't tell you how your money will be used or how much good it will accomplish. You may know will theoretically help a cause, but how? More importantly, how much? If you want to help people living in poverty with evidence-backed, high-impact charities, I recommend you check out GiveWell. GiveWell spends over 20,000 hours each year researching charitable organizations and only recommends a few of the highest-impact, evidence-based charities they've found. Over 50,000 donors have used GiveWell to donate more than $750 million. Rigorous evidence suggests that these donations will save tens of thousands of lives and improve the lives of millions more. And here's the best part. GiveWell is absolutely free. GiveWell wants to empower as many donors as possible to make informed decisions about their donations. They publish all of their research and recommendations on their site for free, no sign-up required. Like I've said before, it's open science at its finest when it's doing good. They allocate your tax-deductible donation to the charity you choose without taking a cut at all. Tamler and I have been using GiveWell for a while now. 
Tamler likes to go in and select a specific charity. I like to let GiveWell's algorithm or whatever their spreadsheet nerds choose whatever they want to do with my donation uh, because I trust them and because I trust science. So if you've never donated to GiveWell's recommended charities before, you can have your donation matched up to $250 before the end of the year or as long as matching funds last. To claim your match, go to givewell.org and pick podcast and enter Very Bad Wizards at checkout. Make sure they know that you heard about GiveWell from Very Bad Wizards to get your donation matched. Our thanks to GiveWell for sponsoring this episode of Very Bad Wizards. To, to the credit of this movie, I, I think it's a very admirable feature of it. The, the major plot drivers are the stock trading and then this party. There, there's this party yeah. that happens and, uh, and it's Rachel's ex-boyfriend and they have to confront Rachel's ex-boyfriend. Those are two very, very simple, not particularly dramatic plot drivers. Uh, yeah. And you can understand why you have a low budget film, you know, most, but, but one of the things that's great about the film is that, you know, you, it makes you realize that time travel movies are all epics, right? They're, they're, right. they're all about wars and like the destruction of the United States, like in the case of Looper or like your parents, like all that stuff. Or 12 um, monkeys. Yeah, or 12 yeah, monkeys. The, the, saving the world. Right. Save yeah, the world right. of pandemics. And like that, and, and what this film shows that even if you have the most minor of things that you're that you're using to drive the plot you can you can do something with it with time yeah, travel right right, right. And, and we and, mentioned this before but it's made for $7,000 in 2004 which is just incredible, incredible shot on yeah. film yeah no absolutely and it looks good looks right like very it, good it, they're cool shots incredible. yeah and he, he had knew nothing about filmmaking it's like yeah. in, both an inspiration and a condemnation to like <laughs> right. what are we doing? people <laughs> like me like what like he made that from absolutely nothing and you know with just actors he cobbled together and himself because he stars in the film as aaron and it is just it's a it's a mind fuck but it does have a kind of bite to it it has an edge to it in terms of the characters yeah. And you get invested in in their stories for the 70 minute running time or whatever it is. It's also very tale heavy. I remember looking at the um the running time and we were maybe an hour in which meant only about 20 minutes left. Most of the action happens in the last 15 minutes. Like the the things that 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 are that when it all starts to come together or fall apart depending on how you how you describe it. So um and that's where most of the paradoxical stuff happens too. Super interestingly, that the last part of the movie is alerting you to the fact that a lot of action is going on in the right. first part of the movie. You just right. didn't know. Right. right. Yeah. That's exactly. thoroughly Lewisian, by the way. Right. That is. <laughs> and oh. that what you yeah. thought you were seeing, you weren't seeing. Right. So the big example, the first big, I think, plot point is when, and they do this brilliantly, like bef they each kind of make big steps in progress. So first Aaron figures out something about this enzyme and I won't go into the details, but then he explains that to Abe. And then in the scene I'm about to talk about, Abe comes, sees Aaron on the park bench. He says, listening to um, March Madness, uh, yeah. like a tournament game. And, and just says, look, I have to show you like everything that like I've just learned and everything I just discovered and walks him through explaining to him exactly what happened at the end of this scene where he hasn't said anything about time travel. He says, look, I'm going to show you something right now. Like you're my friend. I'm not like I wouldn't lie to you. This is not a prank. I wouldn't do that. And you see the other Abe coming out of the storeroom area where the, t the, t the time machine is. 
And then he just walks Aaron through the first time that they're going to do that, which is, so if that's Monday, Tuesday is the first day, allegedly, that Aaron goes through it. We later right. learn that that's not true. Right. What, what we, so in that first plot point, you think Aaron is just getting introduced to the machine, and, and there's no way for you not to think this, to the machine, yeah. to, to, how the, to how it works, to what for the first time. But actually what's going on is he's already been through all of that, and he's there now to record everything that happens to him for the next few days because this is already like a third-generation Aaron. Right. Um, he's at, audio at recording every yeah, he's audio recording every every conversation and right. then later iterations of him is lis- is listening um right. using it as a guide. I love too that um there's a couple of things. One, if you watch the the movie twice in a row like Taylor and I did uh, to prepare for this, y- you'll notice that Aaron there's in the performance, Aaron betrays that at certain points he already knew. You can see it on his face. He's sort of bored with it. He's sort of he's going through the motions of listening to the explanation. And he's Something showing I, some surprise or whatever. He's showing, but you're yeah, right. he's there acting. Subtle, yeah. yeah, he's acting. <laughs> like you can kind of yeah. tell that he's acting it. Which which for a low budget amateur movie, their performances yeah. are really good. Um, they were convincing. And the second thing is that you notice that this whole thing is built on artifice. Like this, there's deception from the beginning. And these two guys who are presumably best friends or at least, you know, good enough friends like Tamler and I that they have like a joint business venture and they have to put up with each other. <laughs> and, but from the beginning of the movie, there's already been one betrayal of deception and then that will just continue. And yeah. you got, I, I think Aaron more than Abe though. Uh, yes. I think Abe's Abe, reactionary. He's he's a much more sympathetic character in that sense. Like I think he's more of a loyal friend. Um, he might. He's a bit of a pushover. His, yeah, a little he's bit a, of a yeah. pushover. Yeah. Um, and Aaron's a little bit of the kind of the bully in the relationship, right. and, in the friendship. But but also like they seem like peers, and they hang out at each other's house. Um, That's right. So. And they're so, both yeah. clearly, they both clearly are smart and have contributed to the building of this machine. Yeah. So do, are we agreed on that? That when, when Abe comes to tell Aaron that, uh, Aaron already knows what he's going to hear and is just now recording what they're saying. I guess we don't know that for sure, but we have every reason to suspect that that's the case that, based on that's subsequent. where we're, we're led that to believe that's an important part of the plot. It's a big reveal in it yeah yeah um exactly which is which is um which is a thoroughly lewisian way of thinking about this film there's there there are many points on this film so so the way that you would depict a, a lewis time travel m- movie is that um every scene that you watch the only things something's hidden from you right so you don't um you don't present a different version of the scene. You just present something else that's happening in the scene. Like, but but the things that you saw before are also still happening, right? So like that's that's right. a that's a right. Lewis way of thinking about time travel, where um, these things all happened, but what you didn't notice was in the background there were these other things happening also, and that's consistent with only one history. There's only one possible history. Right. So that right. so that um, the scene involving him with the earphones. Um, the talk about the attic, right, is a thoroughly Lewisian yeah. thing, right? So in right. one scene, they're talking about, oh, she thinks there's rats in the attic, but I think that they're birds. But it's really Aaron 
the like the the Aaron who was drugged by the later Aaron was always up there the whole time, right? And in right. all these other iterations, they're just talking about the Aaron that's up in the up in the attic. That's a losing thing because like we later realize that that's been that's what was happening the whole time that an, that some Aaron <laughs> drugged an earlier Aaron and placed them in the attic. Right. 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 Exactly. <laughs> so that that seems right. Here's my question though. Aren't we to assume that at one point Abe told a fresh <laughs> virgin Aaron that uh, about the time travel machine, and the only reason this Aaron knows about it is because he's a di- he's literally a different Aaron. Um, he's the I think this is the third Aaron. The second Aaron has already gone to Paris or France or wherever he go- uh, ends up. So there was an original Aaron who did you know I don't know if he had his earpiece in or not. This is this is a part that I find so hard to wrap my head around because yeah. there has to have been an original walkthrough of the events with an unwitting Aaron. Or else how could Aaron have found out what was going on, right? But we are only ever presented, we never see the fresh Aaron. We're only ever presented with Aaron who knows. And it, we're left to sort of infer how this works. And I suppose you could make an argument that no, this is a closed system such that like he always knew. If, if it if it were a closed system, the way that the original Aaron would have known is by a later Aaron recording and set and calling his own cell phone and leaving the message so that the original Aaron knew by way of the later Aaron oh, telling him but that is kind of what happened. That well, is if what, that's what that happened, if that's what happened, then it's thoroughly closed system. That's Lewisian. This is another So he's feature. already like recording the day yeah. because he's gotten that the, phone that, call from yeah. him his, from one of his other later selves. Right. Which we didn't mention, but that's the narr- the narrator yeah. is yeah. a cell phone message from Aaron time X to Aaron time zero or time. That's one. right. Yeah. He's listening to the call of his his later self telling him this is exactly what's about to happen. So so right. that's that that closed causal loop is thoroughly internally consistent and Lewisian, right? What isn't though, what isn't though, and this is crystal clear in the film, is that Abe collapses in one of those scenes and he doesn't collapse in the another scene, right? Mm-hmm. When he comes out and he and he talks to Aaron on the bench. Right. That, that right. cannot yeah. happen in a Lewisian right. closed loop system. You cannot have the same moment in time, right. two different things happen. Right. And also there's one of the Mondays where Abe goes to the party um, where they're going to try to That's put right. the boyfriend in prison and there's one where he never yeah. goes to the party. Those are the two. And there's, right. an impl- yeah. there's at least two and probably three. There's probably the one where Aaron didn't do anything when the boyfriend came in. And then there's one where Aaron was like, wait, I want to be the hero here. And because my because there's something his wife says, which makes it seem like that's not how she thinks of him. Like when he says he <laughs> wants to punch his boss in the face. Yeah, and she's right. like, Oh, look at you. My, you know, yeah, like, that's a nice yeah. surprise. Kind of like my hero. Um, so he clearly like so I, I get the sense that probably he didn't step to the guy uh, the first time around either. Right um, to the to the ex boyfriend who is men who ironically is menacing not his wife but um, Abe's girlfriend who yeah. and Abe doesn't really care. Is it clear that that's his girlfriend and not just a woman that he's really into? Do they? There's an implication because they say that the father it's her father that they're hoping to get money from who's only there because of Rachel who's only yeah. uh, and, and uh, Rachel yeah. is only there because she Dave, she loves Abe. And, that's right. You know. That's right. Yeah. Now, there is, I don't know if we're jumping the gun, but the party where 
I agree, Tamler. There must have been one time where he did nothing. And then there was, it seems, multiple times in which he was the hero. Um, but one time in the original run-through that they kind of mention it to him, right? And, and it seems yes. like what he did was just kind of stand up to the guy, but didn't get yeah. him arrested. Yeah, Didn't get him arrested. Yeah, But I think that the plot makes the most sense if we infer that the very last run-through, he did nothing and Rachel got killed. The one right before the the, yeah. the the one that we eventually no, see the actual the actual one you know he says something oh in, right in right the, right yeah in the narration he says unfortunately it's only the last revision that anybody will remember and um, this this comes from just reading Tamler and I both watched a, a very informative mm. YouTube uh, explainer about this that we'll leave a link to I was reading the comments and somebody said so there is the the character Granger Rachel. Rachel's father, who is exists in the movie as someone who can potentially be a source of funding, they're desperately in need of funding. Um, he ends up showing up. He plays a role. He ends up showing up like scraggly, three days of of beard growth. He shows up in the middle. The there. night there, he's planning to go punch his boss. Yeah, and we we don't know why. It's sort of I I feel like it's underspecified. But one plausible interpretation is that they, they, some version of them approached Granger in the future. and said, in the future, and said, we can build a machine that will prevent your daughter from ever getting shot and killed. And that this is how they hook Granger in. And that Granger starts, finds out about it and gets a little suspicious and starts tr uh, following them around and goes, you know, it seems like he was driven a little bit He goes, no, well, he goes through the time machine he, so yes, first he yeah, goes yeah. through the time machine yeah and then starts following them around yeah. <laughs> let me understand and so you're saying okay. that they intentionally tried to get rachel killed in the last no, run through i think that the last run through they just didn't do anything i think that's you know oh i don't think so i think yeah. i disagree about that i think they they because he says in the narration i'm sure you got it perfect or i'm sure the third me got uh or this you know the hooded Aaron got it perfectly um, and all the adulation and all the, you know, like, so yeah. if you, and he, and, and I thought when he was referring to the last revision is the one that people remember that he was referring to the successful. What we see is the last one. So they, but I don't know, because we see them take a we, gun. They never show us. Okay. Yeah. They never show us. Okay. We see him pull out the gun yeah. and they cut. Okay. So if they pull out, yeah. so they, you, they we see to, him disarm the gun. They disarm the gun. I don't think so. I think that there's one guy, but it's not Aaron who's trying to. Stop no, no, no. Him. They go to his car and take the like. Uh, they disarm. In the one of the guy. iterations, is that the last? But one? That, yeah. that's the last. We only okay. see one uh, party scene. Um, it's alluded to earlier, but that's we right, only yeah. see one. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But but it makes a difference because I think whether you think that what they did was successful, I think the goal was the the father just by running into Aaron just like collapsed and is in like a coma yeah. and the, and this is also reading into it, but the idea might be that he would run into somebody who would make it so that he didn't go back in time. And that just, it doesn't fuck the universe up, but it fucks him up. And so what they have to do is go and make it so that Rachel doesn't get killed and then the father won't come back, and then he'll be okay. I, like I, at this point, yeah, like now, I'm getting very confused. So, yeah, it's but. very, it's very confusing. That the the part where all of this starts, 
right before they encounter Granger was already a weird, confusing thing where he's mm -hmm. like, I, I got woken up by these kids who were setting off car alarms. So what I'll yeah. so what we'll do now is we'll get in the machine now and then we'll yeah. we'll go back and prevent the kids from <laughs> we'll punch the boss, yeah. Yeah. then prevent yeah. the kids. Yeah. So the kids. I won't wake up. So I won't wake yeah. up. So, won't so wake then up. we won't go back in time. At that yeah. right, at that point, they're already <laughs> in like this causal loop thing. They're trying to make something happen. Yeah, they're experimenting. Like yeah, like Tamar was saying earlier. They're they're trying out what like they're trying to figure out the rules of the universe. But by the way, I love this about the film that that in a very like you know re I say realistic. I don't believe that a time travel machine could exist. But if it were invented, it's very plausible that it would be from a couple of nerdy engineers, you know, soldering motherboards in a garage, <laughs> just like yeah. Apple and HP and all that stuff, and that they wouldn't know what they were doing and and would be forced to sort of be trying trying this out. Um, it seems like a, a super plausible way in which. Yeah, totally. Just yeah. using uh, like like car car batteries, <laughs> yeah, car parts yeah. for the palladium. I mean, yeah. the thing the th I was thinking about, you know, months ago when I was started this David Lewis series about what the most plausible time travel story would be, and what I came up with, Dave, is something like what you said. But you're not. Everybody's obsessed with sending things back. But yeah. the thing that you would send back, the first thing you would send back in time would be information because that's already traveling at the speed of light. So if you discovered something, right, and, and that you just yeah. had to find a way to send like a signal back, that's the first, that's what you would send. It wouldn't be like some right. like, you know, an egg or something, right? <laughs> right? Yeah, right. No, absolutely. This is, that's, that's what we're always trying, you know, from, from the telegraph on, yeah. it's, it's how to get the message. Did you watch Dark, the TV series? Oh, I loved it. Yeah. Uh, do you see the first two seasons of that as Lewisian? Yes. Dark was thoroughly Lewisian, so much so that they had to explicitly say that we're now in a possible world story and not just a time travel story because, right. because they were trying to be so thoroughly Lewisian that they couldn't make anything happen unless they started doing <laughs> right. world traveling exactly. rather than time traveling. Right. Yes, absolutely. Uh, what do you think thematically Primer is about? Like, so like any good time travel movie is going to be about time travel and the cool mechanics of it and like building the world building of that, but then also just about something that relatable in our world. I think that Abe and Aaron very clearly have different moral consciences about this kind of thing. And that, and that the climax of the scene is in the airport where they are deciding if, whether they're going to go their separate ways in all respects with their relationship in the world and also in time. So I think we're led to believe that Aaron is trying to recreate this thing so that he can do more time travel and, uh, and, and change the path. And then, and Abe is like done. In fact, um, one major conflict that this happens after is, you know, Abe has this fail safe and he's going to try to undo everything, but Aaron right. found it and he uses it for his purposes. Right. So it's about right. ambition and conscience, I think. But then I think Abe's plan is, and now there is an Aaron that's going to stumble out of the attic at some point. So Abe's idea now is to just prevent them from doing this at all in the first place, in the first place. Right. But, it may have already been done because there's this other Aaron out there. Right. Um, yeah, that's right. Or, other, right. or two it, other Aaron's actually now once he leaves. So so all he can do is keep his small corner of the world away from this technology. But 
Yeah. Right. So the the way it ends is with Aaron, as you were uh, referring to earlier, Tamler, in some French speaking country, building, uh, you know, a a big version. I think it's pretty clear what he's doing is building a very big version of the time machine uh, to be used for whatever it is that he wants to to use it for. What do you um, think Aaron makes Aaron fuck with all this and not want to go at Abe's pace of just, you know, making stock trades and what, why does, cause, cause at a certain point he actually takes steps to see if, uh, Abe has any other storage units. And then that's what leads him to see that there's a fail safe. And then that's what leads him to get in the, or make his own version of one and get in right. that and, uh, take it with him. And so like what, yeah, what prompts all that, you know, for Aaron to go behind Abe's back like that, do you think? Yeah, this is why I think that this movie is so, you know, this one of the reasons that this movie might stand the test of time is because the, it has this underlying theme of the relationship between the two guys and honesty and deception and maybe a moral arc to Aaron where he seemed sort of, you know, neutral, maybe chaotic neutral as, as a nerd might say at best not really he doesn't really seem to have a moral compass and then the little bit of power and then the lot bit of power that comes from uh, using this time machine i think he thinks he can do he can do world changing things if he builds a bigger version but there is you know this is almost too heavy handed if my interpretation is right but the the aaron that leaves who decides look i'm going to let you know, Aaron Zero, the Aaron that's in the attic, live out the life, um, you know, with his wife and, and daughter. He's he's wearing a black hoodie, like a, <laughs> like like when Luke Skywalker yeah. at the beginning of Empire Strikes Back has sort of been tempted by the dark side. Um, and, uh, you know, I, who knows if that's the symbolism that he was going for, but it does seem that there has been some sort of turn in, in Aaron um, that maybe we could say he was corrupted by the power of the time machine, but whatever it is, their relationship has been uh, deteriorating throughout the whole movie. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. to be clear, though, on one plot point, he actually gets into a fight. The hooded Aaron gets into a fight with uh, the third Aaron that's gone into the failsafe machine with yeah. Abe, and they get into a fight at his house. And this is after he's drugged. Uh, this, the second one has drugged originally and put him in the attic. Well, it's not after. Yeah, well, yeah. That's, that's a little hard to say whether <laughs> that's after or like not. Yeah. yeah. But, but the point is, they're fighting over who gets to go to the party that night. And then the, the hooded uh, Aaron, who had to this point been running everything and you know made the original betrayal and went back in the failsafe for the first time, He's like, I don't know how to explain it, but he wanted it more, so I just yeah, gave wow. it to him. And he then goes away to France or wherever right. he goes, and it's and it's that other Aaron that does the thing at night. And then I yeah. think he also leaves. Like I think he must also have to go somewhere, right? Because you see uh, the first Aaron just stumble out of the attic at some point, just fall out, yeah, out of the crawl are there, space. Are there three Aarons existing at the same time at that point? I think so. I th and doesn't every one, subsequent point, I think. Doesn't one of them have to get back in the time machine or, and and get swallowed by the timeline? Or no? I, now, now I'm trying. I guess he could choose to. He could choose to, but he wouldn't have to. I don't think. But maybe he then just 
if he does, could become that first Aaron? I don't know. You know what's very interesting in terms of personal identity? Would would you want to get into the time machine? Um, your, oh, your, no. yeah. <laughs> oh, I knew it's going to turn into a transporter thing. Oh, fuck. Well, you're getting, so it's even worse than the transporter because you're getting swallowed up by the other person. You know, the right. timeline is eating you up. Oh, um, it's, yeah, what do you think about that, Brian? That I'm supposed to think of getting in a time machine like getting in a transporter. If it's thoroughly Lewisian, it's 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 just a later version of myself, right? So right. so um so Yeah, but you could exist. You could exist in parallel with your other self. So you sort of have this understanding that in order for things to work properly, you're supposed to get into the time machine. And at one point they even say, yeah. like, how could we convince our others to get into the time machine? Yeah. Yeah. Once they see me, once yeah. they see us, you know. What, yeah. yeah. This is why when you start going non-Lewisian with the story, it gets hard to talk about. Because if it was right. thoroughly Lewisian, you would say, there's no choice for three to but but Aaron two to go into the machine to become Aaron three because Aaron three is yeah, standing right, right there because if he decides right. not to happen. then Aaron three like the looper thing will just poof disappear yeah. <laughs> right 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 <laughs> or like the, the Back to the Future yeah, 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 like yeah, the, the yeah. picture the picture yeah. of him Fade. would start yeah the, yeah, the, yeah the head would start fading yeah. you wouldn't know how to think about it so and and so and so like for Lewis okay if there really is this genuine choice then we're talking about counterparts in different worlds now that they're all standing in one yeah. world. And yeah, that's a very right, different right. kind of story. Right. Right, right, right. And they don't seem to suggest that. That's they right. seem to suggest that that's not how this works. Um, yeah. one thing I wanted to say about Aaron, there was a there's a, a scene at the gas station where he says, and I wrote something down here. This is when they've already kind of floated the idea of him punching his boss in the face, but then going back and telling himself not to. And 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 then as the narrative says, the idea then is put out there that we could yeah. actually like change things. And he says, you know, maybe this whole idea that there's only one way to experience a moment and that defines you and that's how your life goes. He's like, I don't I don't see why it has to be like that. And Abe is already like, hey, you know, calm down, slow down. You have no <laughs> right. idea what right. kinds of things that would cause. But Aaron clearly has shown his distaste for his present life. Just like, and maybe that involves his wife and daughter too, which makes it easy for him to abandon them. Or maybe it's like, I just feel like my life should be, have gone a different way. And now I can actually make that happen. Yeah. Uh, so he wants to like revise and edit his life like we do for the podcast. And, and, and that's like, I think really kind of interesting that that's where they differ. Abe is much more cautious about doing anything like that. Maybe he just has hopes for the future. Right. There is also a hint of hubris from Aaron that I think might be a theme where Aaron is so sure that he can control things and and that the director slash writer slash actor does, I think, a really good job of dropping a couple of hints about the uncertainty of events. So even though it seems like if it happened, it's bound to happen, there is some measure of uncertainty. And you see this very clearly when the tape recording or the tape recording, you know, the recording of the conversation where he's playing basketball with his friend or the guy, the other guy says that he's going to make the basket, but he actually misses the basket. There is some error that has been introduced. Right. There is some level of uncertainty. And there is a, there's an explicit phrase where um, at the beginning, when they're trying to figure out what the machine is doing and they talk right. about how many cycles it's gone through 
they say there's some level of uncertainty here. Yeah. It's, it's not like all probability. Thing. They don't it's a prob- it. yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah, they say it's, a, it's some level of prob- probability. They refer also to Feynman diagrams, which is you know I think one one way of understanding um, the probabilistic path of a of a of a particle. So I I think that there is a theme there that like you can't. It's not always set in stone. There's something. Right. Yeah. So uh, yeah, similarly, like this could have gone a different way, and yeah. there's no reason I have to accept the way that it ended up going. Yeah. Um, because there is some uncertainty. I got also the sense, I wanted to see what you guys thought. There seems to be some sort of theme of maturity. You know, these guys are boys and and they act very immaturely. Like, you know, they, like I said, may, maybe that was unfair, but their their first thought is to play the stock market. Aaron doesn't really seem to like the responsibilities of being a family man. Um, they talk about trying to be respected by mr granger they're like if you he thinks of us like six-year-old kids if you call him mr granger he's not going to respect you you have to call him by this there is a a little bit of a not coming of age but the sort of maturity that you they don't have that you often see in in modern 20 something year old men Um, (laughs) yeah they're arrested development yeah Yeah, like the fact that they're going to travel you know five times or six times just to get the perfect way to get at some douchebag at a party like that like that's that's the thing they're that's the thing you're gonna travel six times for yeah and show their masculinity <laughs> that's right. yeah, yeah. Exactly. they had and they had the same ideas like biff from back to the future like how to make <laughs> right <money>. right <laughs> <laughs> yeah use the, the almanac yeah <laughs> but that's right they're, they their immaturity and just in the way they deal with they kind of exclude the other two yeah, um, yeah, partners right. and it's like clicky kind of um, right. you get the sense there and they exclude uh, the only man of color yeah. <laughs> uh, something about colonialism uh, the fact that yeah, you guys said like oh this is a quintessentially like engineers like, this is a yeah. statement about the maturity of engineer man, man children, right? <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Right. These, yeah. These, these, uh, startup Silicon Valley, uh, douche, yeah. douchebag. This is what your STEM education, <laughs> STEM like obsession gets you is these yeah, guys. It, it gets Congratulations. You it gets you time travel though. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So there's something good that comes. Yeah. I feel um, the need to say that there's no way that this discussion can do justice to the plot. Um, because, there is i have some sense that there is will never be a complete explanation of what's of going on not. in the movie yeah. and I, and I, I i like to to i like that it's open ended like that and i don't ever want to know if the director has some cl- closed loop but but please don't take this conversation as in any way either definitive or complete <laughs> this <you know. laughs> as opposed to all the other episodes you know the the issue of De- depicting engineer creators they're they're fundamentally kids and the motivations are kids and abe is trying to grow up uh that's yeah. that's pretty clear yeah. he's trying to do the grown-up thing every single time i think um that's, that's right and with the with a fail safe too right that's the responsible yeah. thing to do to create a fail safe that you turn on and, much earlier yeah that's right exactly and what a betrayal that your friend found your fail safe and then used it just to like manipulate it's, it, yeah. it, it does feel like a betrayal. like a Yeah, but it was also paternalistic a little bit for him not to tell Aaron about the right. fail-safe methods. Yeah, so, no, that's right, that's right. So I think yeah. Aaron might claim I was betrayed first, but I think that's right. It's Abe wanting to grow up and Aaron not wanting to grow up, and which is also like connects to him kind of coveting the family because that's a grown-up thing to do is to have a family. Right. And that's a really common story. Like the one friend is growing up 
faster yeah. than the other friend, you know? And then they just do that, but with a time travel movie. There was some weirdness there where it seems like Abe, it's a little even more than Envy. It's like a, like, like, does Aaron at some point, am I, am I right that I caught that Aaron's like, I know you like my wife? At the end. Yeah. yeah. It's like yeah. the last thing they say to each other. Yeah. Uh, like, is, go ahead. Like, yeah. he's basically like, go ahead. You know? <laughs> right. I mean, I'm not going to be there. So. <laughs> Sorry, what Aaron. time is it supposed to be at the airport? Like, what day is that? Is that supposed to be? I think that's Monday before any of this, before the 9 a.m. Oh, thing. so they, so that's the, so they wake up from the fail safe and go to the airport. Oh, no. Or is it Tuesday? Because they did the, no, it has to be at least Tuesday because they did the party. Unless they've already, they went back in the fail safe. There is something I don't understand about the mechanics that I think there is an answer to, but I, I'm, I feel like I'm not smart enough to, to have gotten it, where you can nest time machines into time machines and actually yeah. travel further back in time. So the time machines aren't tied to like the clock. What they're tied to is the amount of time. So like if you can get a time machine into a That's time right. machine then you can actually start going back further and further. And I think that's what Aaron is trying to that, build at the end. That's what they've done. Yeah. That's already what they've done. It has to yeah. be that the airport is actually before any of this. Because yeah. one of the things that Abe says that he wants to do is stop them from preventing... That's right, from ever doing from, it. ...from creating the time machine. So yeah. so it has to be before then. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so, but you're right. That's the way you go back further is you right. take one time machine and put it in the other time machine. Yeah. And then you go back with that time machine and then you can just use that. I suppose you could do that f indefinitely. Yeah. And I think that's what he's trying to, to build maybe. Um, yeah. What, what a well thought out fucking <laughs> the script. Like, and it's, <laughs> it is. Yeah. It is really compared to all of the simplicity of other time travel movies where it's either, you know, it's either just a magic box or it's gobbledygook or, you know, like there are very few movies that, that go to such lengths to describe how how things work. Of course, you know, there's gobbledygook yeah. there too about how it works. But but it's a it's a more well fleshed out view of time travel than I think most other movies. I, I can't think of a good comparison. A really good labor of love from an individual that doesn't have the Hollywood yeah. studio coming here to you with notes and uh and trying to cast this that and the other just a really good labor of love coming from one mind is going to be a piece of shit or it's going to be brilliant <laughs> <You're> right, right? <laughs> and I'm, and and it's That's absolutely true that there's more pieces of shit out there than are brilliant stuff but just unadulterated with notes and uh production thinking about yeah. whether we can make just this exactly yeah exactly what he wanted That's it right. to be like the time machine uh, are just yeah. going to be these plastic boxes <laughs> in yeah, a storage unit right. that's what right. i can I afford to do right <laughs> and that's what so i'm gonna i'm gonna create characters that yeah. that's all they can afford to do yeah. you know yeah. so that's what's uh, so smart about it yeah. no it's, yeah. it's incredible I, I i saw an interview with him where the that he was asked whether you know like how how much of it all makes sense or how much of it is you know open to interpretation or suffer he's he says as far as i can tell i didn't want to tell anybody anything it's the least hand-holding movie of you know <laughs> yeah. of, of like of of science fiction that you can imagine but he says i did try to sprinkle in details for people who want to go back and see it again where you know they will be able to piece it together and he said the one exception the one thing that i don't think you can get and you just have to interpret like a big thing is why did uh granger thomas granger come back right. And you can, you know, he said, like, you know, if I kind of think that it's 
because something happened to Rachel, but there's nothing in the movie to tell you for sure right. what, uh, yeah. what, what that, because he wanted them to experience this kind of just, oh my God, like we have no idea. Like we right. don't know what we've done or what we don't know what we're going to do that would lead this to happen. We don't even know which one of us it was. And, um, and so he right. liked that. He liked that idea of just this future event that is, is, is haunting you right now, but you have no idea like what you did to bring it about. It is. Or you're going I, to do to bring it about. It, 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 there is a way in which this is good that almost makes me angry that this guy was able to do because he didn't do what, you know, he's a software guy and he was a math guy and you would think the temptation would be to actually explain it all, right? Mm. Like, I don't know engineers to be that keen on leaving sort of like an artsy, open-ended mystery. Yeah. But he is like an artist also. So he gives us this, this I think, very well fleshed out world. The rules seem right. But he leaves the mystery not as in like, stay tuned for Primer 2, but as in <laughs> you do some work and you look at the trail of information that has been left on the internet from people who are, who are trying to understand this movie. It's like, what more could you want as an artist? Like he made this thing and people have been talking about it now for over 15 years. Like yeah. people on that YouTube video are commenting like last week, you know, yeah. Yeah. it's incredible. Yeah. No, and he never really, like, he made one other movie that, you know, he really got to produce upstream color, and then every other project just hasn't been able to get funded. Huh. You know, like, I think he's he's really unhappy with how his career turned out after after Primer. I think oh. up, he's very proud of upstream stream color. I either have or haven't seen it. Like, yeah. yeah. I have one a, of me has or one I have of me a memory hasn't. Of, I, think. I have a memory of Tamler telling me that he saw the movie, but Tamler doesn't have that memory. So it's <laughs> I have either... a memory of maybe saying that, but I don't remember but I don't have a great memory of seeing it. And yeah. I and I would like it. You know, it's a kind of so maybe I just saw it in the wrong frame of mind or something. Right. Does he associate the lack of success with Primer? I don't think okay. so. I think he associates it with Hollywood being Hollywood and things getting... This one, he was able to get a distributor because they won at Sundance. And I don't know why he didn't. Maybe you only have one $7,000 movie in you. And <laughs> yeah. then it's like, I can't work like this uh, in my <laughs> right. whole career. Well, know? he said, I did read that he said that after filming was completed, it took him two years of post-production like editing and doing whatever it is. You know, Sound, he made he even made the music for the fucking thing. Um, and he said that it, it he, he felt like it nearly destroyed him. There were times when he was ready to give up on the project. And so I can imagine not want, not having another $7,000 movie in you for that reason. I, I feel that every yeah. season of my fucking show. I feel like this is going to kill me. I got to cut it out. <laughs> Just the, you are the Shane Carruth of, <laughs> of podcasting. It's true. Jesus it's true. Christ. Except you can get funded. You like by the big by the big uh, by the slate. Big dog. Oh, they don't give me any money. They just uh, prom they like cross promote it or something. Because I'm still they don't give you any. No, money? no. It's a it's supposed to be an ad, uh, revenue sharing thing. Like uh, right. they, if they if they sell ads, but they don't go out of their way to sell ads for my show because uh, they don't have to. Like they have all these shows that right. they pay for, so they need to sell ads. For their show, I, I don't want to say anything. Right. I'm not gonna say anything bad. I, I, no, I, no, I no. think it's great to be able to um, to be cross promoted, but like it's still all me. I don't pay any. 
buddy else to like <laughs> right so it's your labor of love yeah it's a labor it's of love labor and of but love, nobody's but... like it's not like dozens of people talking i, I still got to find my primer moment some <laughs> avant-garde <laughs> philosophy podcast that has like <laughs> multiple interpretations of something <laughs> right like they have this whole like map of like season one episode <laughs> three and connections between right. season two episode four I sometimes feel like uh, like leaving clues for listeners in a in a sort of you know, mysterious way. Maybe maybe I have. Maybe you know, we have. Maybe we have. Maybe my opening quotes turn into like if you string them together with the right equation, they they turn into a meaningful statement. I think esoteric reading of our podcast is like it's high time that somebody did that. I think somebody needs to take a more Straussian approach to our podcast <laughs> because yeah, we've been giving these like coded political. You know, <laughs> philosophical messages but but not for the masses just for the select just, few just select. you know <laughs> yeah uh all right well thank you for joining us this was a lot oh, of fun thanks for having me in great great film thanks, great to Barry. think about yeah check the, out the latest season of high Nation. i think like even if you're not a fan of david lewis it's it's really interesting and you really get a good sense of what that those times were like uh, yeah, so I, I love really I love just the opening that I was listening to, where you're telling the story about being in a you know you you create narratives in a really good way. But that story that story about the talk and the pee uh, <laughs> that was, that was that's awesome. the story of how he died. <laughs> <laughs> that was the last the no, last no. moments <laughs> of his life. It's the beginning. That's the kicker. Was, uh, <laughs> that's yeah, the kicker. I mean, right? that's, yeah. Yeah, like, that's where the fuck the, is he like, going with uh, this story? Why is they talking about yeah, this weird yeah. talk that somebody was giving? And but it but it does come. I as someone who didn't know that, like I I you know like it sounds like a story somebody would tell about David Lewis up till that point. Yeah. And then yeah. when that's how it ends, it's uh, yeah yeah. Right. All right. Well, okay. thank you, All Barry. Right. This is really thanks, fun. guys.